the Bible itself is the Word of God. It's true and it's trustworthy in all of its respects and that this inspires us to believe and obey the Bible as the Word of God. What is the power and purpose of biblical prophecy? Hi, I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. And welcome to Inside the Epicenter, a podcast of the Joshua Fund. Today, we're going to be taking part three of our conversation around the power and purpose of biblical prophecy. And Joel, we're so glad you're joining us again from Washington, D.C. And uh, we want to dive back into the, the sevenfold reasons and purposes behind biblical prophecy. Welcome. That's great to be with you, Carl. Thank you so much. I'm enjoying this conversation, and I hope it's uh, helpful and edifying, encouraging to our listeners and viewers all over the world. Yeah, it's been so encouraging for me, even as host, to unpack this. And and you've put together a study that we're going to make available in the show notes that really unpacks not only the reasons why we don't often in our churches today hear about biblical prophecy, but these seven reasons why we should be studying and teaching and learning about the power and purpose of biblical prophecy. So we're looking forward to that. It's been really great. Just quickly, Joel, you want to just go through the first four purposes that we've talked about in the last podcast, and then we'll we'll really start to dive in on the fifth, sixth, and seventh great. reasons. Okay. So yeah, let's recap those first uh, few. So what are these seven purposes of Bible prophecy? The first is to reveal that the God of the Bible is the almighty all-seeing, all-knowing God of the universe, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. This is the most important, but it's one of seven purposes, but it's the most important. This Bible prophecy reveals who God is, that he can see the future and we cannot. And there's no other creature, no other being, no other person who can tell us so much detail about the future. Everyone else is just guessing, but God actually knows. Right. This is what Bible prophecy reveals. That's number one. Absolutely. That's number one. Number two, the purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal that the Bible itself is the word of God. It's mm-hmm. true and it's trustworthy in all of its respects and that this inspires us to believe and obey the Bible as the word of God. Okay. Uh, again, the Bible is the only book that's telling us these truths that God is telling us in advance. And that's proof that the Bible is true, that it's trustworthy, and that's important. The third purpose of Bible prophecy, as we discussed, is to require us to study God's Word diligently and with humility, and to teach God's Word with humility and with care. Right, Bible prophecy is complicated. Some of it is complicated. Sometimes, you know, it's not. Sometimes it's just very, very clear. God says he's going to send a flood, then he does, and there it is, all right? Other times he uses metaphorical language or allegorical language, and we have to slow down. We have to study more carefully. We need to cross-reference with other passages and, and help us to make sure we understand accurately what God is saying so that we, A, understand it, and B, we can communicate it accurately and fairly, right? We don't want to misrepresent what God is saying because that will lead us to draw wrong conclusions and we want to teach the Bible accurately. And Paul commands, he doesn't just exhort, he commands his young pastor in training, Timothy, look, you need to be diligent. You need to handle the word of God accurately. You need to be a a workman that's approved that you carefully study the word and you're carefully and humbly 
explain it to people so you're not getting it wrong. And that's an important mm. element. And prophecy requires us to slow down and study it more carefully and more humbly because it can be complicated. And the fourth, of course, purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal the first coming of the Messiah, right? right. Who is this Messiah going to be? Where is he going to be born? What qualities should we be looking for? How do we know that that person is the Messiah and that nobody else mm-hmm. is? That's, you know, for many people, uh, certainly followers of Jesus, that's maybe the most important from our perspective. Like, how do we know that Jesus really is the Messiah because right. he fulfills all these prophecies. And that's really very, very exciting. So those are the first four of the seven purposes. And they were so inspirational, you know, to study and especially, you know, the prophecies of the first coming of Jesus, such a, an affirmation of the truth of God's word. But, but it leads us immediately to the fifth reason for studying Bible prophecy yeah. and for recognizing that. What, what's that one, Joel? So the fifth purpose of Bible prophecy is to point to the second coming of the Messiah. You know, right. Messiah didn't just come one time, he's coming again. Now, in the ancient times, many rabbis and Jewish thinkers struggled because there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament, in what the Jews call the Tanakh, the Torah mm-hmm. and the writings and the prophecies. There are so many prophecies and they seem different. Some of the prophecies seem to indicate that the Messiah will come and he will suffer. He's described as a mm-hmm. suffering servant in Isaiah, Jeremiah, others. So why? Because other prophecies seem to indicate the Messiah is coming as a conquering king, as the one who's Mm going to rule over everybody. But these two concepts seem so contradictory to Jewish scholars in ancient times that they thought, you know what? Maybe there's two different messiahs. Maybe one messiah is the suffering servant who comes Mm -hmm. to suffer on behalf of the nation of Israel, on behalf of the people. But the second Messiah, maybe a different Messiah, he's going to be the conquering king, right? So the rabbis actually came up with a concept called the first Messiah is going to be Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah son Mm. of Joseph, meaning Mm. he comes in the spirit and the history of Joseph, who was rejected by his brothers, right? Left for dead, sold into slavery, Mm -hmm. suffers in prison in Egypt for many years, and then emerges and saves the nation and saves the world. That's how many Jewish scholars saw Messiah ben Joseph, that he's a sufferer, but who will save. But the other Messiah must be Messiah ben David, Messiah son of David, meaning he's born in Bethlehem, he's born in the family of King David, and he's gonna be like David, but better, he's gonna be the king over Israel and over the world. So the rabbis, that's the only way they could figure how to take what seemed like two contradictory sets of prophecies Hmm. and make sense of them. It must be two different people. What the New Testament teaches us is that, no, it's not two different people. It's two different comings. It's the same person coming at two different times to play two different roles. They match And they're fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy, but they're not two different people. It's two different times. That's the insight. That's the breakthrough of the New Testament to help us understand not two people, two different periods of time. 
Right. So in some sense, you, you know, when you talk about those two, son of Joseph and son of David, uh, Jesus is actually both. And that's what you're saying is Jesus is literally, you know, the, uh, his earthly father, his, uh, right. we would say stepfather, I guess, was Joseph. And of course, he is from the line and house of David born in Bethlehem. So he is he a really son did of suffer. David. Right. Yes. And he was rejected by his brothers. You know, Jesus was rejected yes. by the Jewish scholars, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish, you know, students of the law, of the word, and by most of the Jewish people. And yet, while he suffered and seemed to disappear from the Jewish world, he came back. Mm-hmm. And not only is yeah. he coming back to save Israel, he wants to save the world. That is really the story of Joseph. I would recommend that we do a podcast in the future looking at the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. It's so Mm. fascinating. And yet most people aren't, Christians, much less Jews, aren't even aware of these connections. And of course, yes, Jesus is the son of David, literally. The New Testament starts with genealogies that unpack both from the father's side and the mother's side. Either way, Jesus is descendant of King David, and he is heir to the throne. And uh, I love that. Wow. Now, but, but we see all these things in the, in the fulfillment of Jesus' first coming. Uh, we also see that the rabbis and the teaching of some in Israel only pointed that they couldn't conceive of the possibility that this could be the, the second coming. But biblical prophecy for most Christians, most evangelicals, is is really only thought of as scriptures that point to the second coming of Jesus. So this is a valid purpose of biblical prophecy, obviously, but it's not the only one. No, that's right. But not only is it valid, but listen, so again, I I referenced in the previous podcast, a friend of mine who's one of the leading scholars, one that I trust a great deal, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, got his PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary and has written a wonderful book, which we've got mentioned uh, or linked to in the uh, in the show notes called The End, <laughs> a complete overview of the Bible, prophecy, and the end of days. It's a great book. Now, it's over 500 pages, but it's a great reference book. And here are a few key facts that I love uh, what Hitchcock sort of smoked out of the Bible. Look, he says, quote, there are over 300 references to the Lord's coming in the 260 chapters of the New Testament. One out of every 30 verses speaks to the second coming of Christ. This means it's a major theme, right? This is not a throwaway line here or there. This is one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament refers specifically to the second coming of Christ. So it's important. Hitchcock notes that 23 out of the 27 books of the New Testament specifically refer to the second coming of Christ. So almost every book of the New Testament refers to the second coming of Christ. I love this point. Dr. Mark Hitchcock notes that, quote, for every time the Bible mentions the first coming of the Messiah, the second coming is mentioned eight times. We have eight times more prophecies about the second coming of Christ than the first. And since we know the Messiah has come the first time and that we have eight times more prophecies about the second coming, we can take to the bank that he is coming back. This is not wow. open for question. This is a, a sure major theme. And you'd think, well, yeah. I wonder why God gave us eight times more. It's like he's taking a yellow highlighter and he's going, <laughs> I am telling you over and over, this is happening. Jesus is yeah. coming back. One last thing. Hitchcock, again, I'm quoting him, 
quote, people are exhorted to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ over 50 times, unquote, Hmm. in the New Testament. That's a big deal. That's another major thing. It's not just that Jesus is coming back. It's that we are exhorted to be ready for the return of Christ. So this is all under the topic, under the category of this fifth purpose of Bible prophecy is to point us to the second coming of the Messiah. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, but I'm reminded of the Bob Dylan song, Are You Ready? Uh, You know, I almost feel like it's a gospel passage. Fifty times the New Testament says, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? That's important for us. Joel, we're going to take a look at the last two purposes, not last in terms of priority, but really what do we do now with these things when we come back? The verse of the day today is found in Titus, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Our prayer requests today are to pray for pastors and church leaders to more fully appreciate and preach biblical prophecy, to guide and instruct us, and to continue to pray that believers worldwide will be emboldened, empowered, and strengthened to be a light to the nations. Joel, we're back. And uh, I don't know, this topic continues to be such an encouragement to me as I consider the what you've written here on the, on the passages, the purposes of biblical prophecy in our lives. And, and the sixth point that you make is so crucial to the church today, especially as we see the times that we live in. Would you take us to that sixth point and just teach us from that? Yeah, happy to do it, Carl. So the sixth purpose of Bible prophecy is to build up, challenge, and encourage and comfort the church to live holy and fruitful lives in the last days. Okay, Hmm. the study and teaching of prophecy isn't supposed to be some intellectual pursuit disconnected from our actual practical lives. The point of Bible prophecy is not to memorize all the seals and the bowls and the trumpets of the book of Revelation, okay? Uh, The point is not to set dates or times regarding the rapture, a topic that we Mm -hmm. haven't discussed but needs its own uh, probably podcast. And the point of Bible prophecy is not to get into pointless and contentious arguments with everyone and anyone and everyone over the timing and sequence of end times events. You can certainly have important conversations about these things, and these things are important. I'm not minimizing seals and bowls and trumpets or, or sequencing or timing, but getting into big arguments and getting into divisions with brothers and sisters who love Jesus is completely pointless and counterproductive and counter the point of Bible prophecy. Rather, you know, the point is that God gave us prophecy to motivate the church, to mobilize the church, to live lives of holiness, getting into a fight that and you can't even talk to your brother or sister or mother or father or son or daughter or neighbor (laughs) because you're getting in a big fight over prophecy. That is really not productive. It's not what God wants. He wants to motivate and mobilize the church to preach the gospel to all nations, 
in light of the fact that Jesus is coming, well, we all have to get ready. We have to get our hearts ready for his return. If we've if we've never heard of Jesus, we need to be aware that he exists and he's coming. If we are aware of him and we've rejected him, we need to be encouraged, challenged. Hey, maybe you need to rethink that. Not maybe. You need to rethink that and give your heart and life to Jesus. Receive him. This is important. And being motivated by the fact that Jesus is coming back will help us realize, well, good, I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with him. But what about the people that don't know him or haven't received him or have rejected him? Bible prophecy is supposed to motivate and mobilize the church to make disciples of all nations, of all nations. Yes, to help people not just hear the gospel and say yes, but to grow and mature in Christ, to become healthy as a follower of Christ, to know how to tell other people about Jesus and help them grow and mature in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit and help people in every country, to help the local churches in every country in the world be healthier and stronger and able to fulfill the Great Commission. One last thing, I, I mean, I could go on, but God gave us prophecy to motivate and mobilize the church to endure suffering and persecution as we look forward to the blessed hope of Christ's return. That yes, the world is going to get worse before yeah. Christ comes to make it right. We have mm-hmm. to understand that and we have to understand that we need to endure to the end. It is not going to be easy. Life is going to get harder and harder as we get closer to the turn of Christ, there are going to be people who are betraying Christ, who are opposed to Christ, who are persecuting the followers of Jesus, who are becoming apostate, who say they believe, and then they say, I reject. All of mm-hmm. these are going to be challenges. And Christ told us ahead of time. The apostles told us ahead of time. The prophets told us ahead of time so that we'd be ready. Yes, the wheels are coming off the world, but God told us that that would happen but to help us to endure suffering and persecution and remain bold and humble and loving and to walk in the spirit of Christ, knowing that life is going to get harder before Christ comes to end injustice and make all things right. I so agree with that. A a couple, couple observations from, you know, my perspective, you know, I love what you uh, talked about earlier about the warning from the pilot when you're coming in and there's turbulence before you land the plane. And sometimes while that can be disconcerting for some, it can be downright scary. The fact that you know that the pilot has confidence and is not panicking, uh, knows where we're headed, knows how to get us down. And uh, yes, that's going to be, but that's a same benefit of being a student of prophecy, of understanding these things, not so that we scurry and fret and get anxious about all these things happening. Because as you know, my background, I worked a lot with uh, persecuted believers around the world and in prior ministry experiences when in some of the worst places on earth, uh, 20 years in Chinese prisons or, or in communist environments, places where uh, radical Islam has caused uh, untold suffering on people. It is one of the common themes across the world of Christian populations that are persecuted, that they understand and put their hope in the return of Christ in the ultimate restoration of justice and hope that comes from there. So it's absolutely crucial that we take this sixth reason to understand that it it is an encouragement, a hope, an anchor in the midst of all of that turbulence. If we're on the airplane and it's being buffeted around and we feel like nobody at the controls knows what they're doing, 
Yeah, of course, it's going to produce panic in our lives. But Bible prophecy gives us that anchor, that hope, that stability, that confidence. And I just want to thank you for making this so clear. Well, I think it's important your experience in in encouraging those Christians that are being persecuted all over the world, North Korea, China, uh, the radical Islamic world and so forth. First of all, it gives you a lot of credibility. You've traveled to these places. You've sat with brothers and sisters who are under persecution. And so your testimony that they are holding on to Christ, looking with great hope for his return and for that promise to become true, that Christ is coming to end injustice and make all things right, that's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think that many, let's say, American or Canadian or North American Christians don't live with on focused on the hope of Christ coming to make things right, because many Christians have a life that's pretty good in this world. But we need to remember that, you know, Americans and Canadians are mostly living in the top small percentage of wealthy people, even if you don't feel wealthy, maybe you're not by American or Canadian standards. But compared to the rest of the world that's living on two dollars a day, you know, we're fabulously wealthy. And therefore, we have so many comforts that Heaven is does, is not as attractive to us because we don't find ourselves personally suffering, mm-hmm. and therefore we're not looking forward to the day when this suffering is over and Christ comes to take us and let us live in this home that he has uniquely prepared just for us and to live in that sort of the beauty and the grandeur and the splendor and the luxury that heaven is described as being. It doesn't attract us as much. It doesn't give us as much hope. But as even America and Canada is being shaken economically, Mm -hmm. politically, socially, and in other ways, God in his love and mercy will continue to rattle and shake all the nations Mm -hmm. in order to get our attention. And so I think the blessed hope of Christ's return will be rising as something that all of us need, whatever country we live in even the United States, even Canada, as we go deeper in the last days, which is why, again, pastors and ministry leaders need to be teaching on this topic to give comfort and encouragement. You know, Jesus in the in the Last uh, Supper said, uh, in this world, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have, future tense, past tense, I have overcome the world. So I really believe that this is is such a vital and important tool for the church today to study Bible prophecy, to gain from it a a confident assurance of God's total sovereignty and power, and that his control and direction and ultimate preservation of his purposes is absolute. So we could camp on this one for a long time. but I think there is one more verse I do want to share. and then Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. And then we'll go on to the last point. Interesting to me, and I'm just remembering it. Looking back at my notes, which is always a good thing to do. Uh, in First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul is even more clear about the purposes of Bible prophecy, and specifically to this one. Quote, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and hmm. consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, why do I focus on that one? What he's saying is there's a number of pieces, but just for the purposes of our podcast today, when you think of what God spoke through the ancient prophets, both in the Old Testament and, of course, the apostles in the New Testament and Jesus himself, there are three elements for the church, edification, 
exhortation and consolation. What is edification? It means to build people up. To edify means to build up. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a fight with your pastor, with your congregation, with your friends, your neighbors, your family, when you're having a fight, I mean, I'm talking about not a disagreement, not a healthy discussion, but a rip-roaring mm-hmm. fight, you are not building up. So you are not fulfilling what the point of prophecy is. You're tearing down when prophecy is designed to edify, to build up. The second thing that Paul talks about is exhortation. Now, exhortation has two elements. One side of the coin is encouragement, right? So giving courage. When people feel discouraged and you share the prophecies of the coming of Christ and see this is what God says is going to happen in these last days and look at what is happening, but don't worry because look at what Christ says is is the future that we have. That's encouraging, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're being mm-hmm. discouraging, if you find the conversation you're having is discouraging to people, then you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. okay? The third area would be consolation, right? That means mm-hmm. providing comfort. When people are sad, when they're grieving, when we share Bible prophecy, we are consoling. Most famously, perhaps, is in First Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul talks about, you know, people who grieve without Christ they are grieving because they don't have a future. And that person that they've just lost, if that person didn't know Jesus, they have no future. They're going to hell and there's no way for them to get out. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder there's deep grief. But in Christ, we have, we may grieve, but not like the world grieves, meaning we feel sad, we are distraught. We have to work our way through grief because somebody that we love has been taken from us. But in Christ, we know that we're going to heaven one day, that it will be okay. And if they know Christ, our loved one, they're going to heaven and we will meet there and we will spend eternity with the very people that we love, that that our loved ones who are ripped away now are not ripped away forever if they know Christ and we know Christ. That's consoling, that's comforting. And that's what prophecy teaches. So again, it's not that we won't have disagreements with other believers over some of the details of eschatology. But if we're having disagreements that are leading to discouragement and tearing down and creating more grief, we're doing it wrong. And we need to understand that Paul is admonishing us in 1 Corinthians 14 to understand why we have prophecy. It's to build up to, uh, well, by the way, I also missed that two sides of the coin. Exhortation is both encouraging, but it's also challenging. Prophecy Mm -hmm. is also designed to challenge. Listen, the clock is running. There's a clock. It's running. Mm -hmm. We're getting close to the end of the game. When the game is over, it's over. And we will face judgment. So we need to change our ways. We need to repent. We need to ask God to either bring us into the kingdom of Christ or if we're already in the kingdom to start bearing fruit, to walk in a way that's pleasing to Christ. And that's where the exhortation, that other side of the coin, yes, encouragement, but also challenging us to live in the power of the Spirit, to to turn away from sin and towards Christ, and then to console people. That's what prophecy is about. And again, you know, I want to emphasize, if we're not doing that, when we (laughs) study or teach Bible prophecy, we're doing it wrong. Yeah, and we're getting such a smaller message, a smaller gospel, if we don't teach Bible prophecy for those purposes. But you also mentioned earlier in one of the earlier podcasts on this that, you know, that prophecy has two meanings. It's a foretelling, but it's also a forthtelling. And that kind of leads us to the seventh purpose for biblical prophecy, doesn't it? To yes. to warn unbelievers 
Uh, why don't you speak about that one? Yeah. So the seventh uh, purpose of Bible prophecy is to warn unbelievers in Israel and in every other nation to repent, to turn away from sin, away from themselves, away, their own ways of thinking, and to turn towards the Messiah, towards Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, before it's too late. Okay. And repent, repent is another one of those words we don't hear very much of, <laughs> unfortunately, in the church. The word repent? We don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's important that you bring it out here. Yeah. And often, I think too often, the word repent has been used with a harsh tone. I mean, repent mm. or you're going to hell. Well, mm. that is a true statement, but it's not exactly spoken in love. Right. Jesus, right. even as the Messiah, said to his father in John 12, 49, father, command me what to say and how to say it. Hmm. It's not an easy truth to share with people that there is such a consequence of rejecting Christ and that consequence is going to hell forever and ever, burning in hell, no way out, not in a hundred years, not in a thousand years, not in a million years. You're never getting out. That's a terrible, horrible consequence of rejecting the Messiah. It is, by the way, what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, which is, uh, he said to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, look, there's coming a prophet, there's coming the Messiah uh, from our people. And if you don't follow him and obey him, you will be cut off from your people forever. Hmm. And Peter refers to that admonition, that exhortation from Moses. He refers to it in the first sermon he ever gives on uh, Pentecost in Jerusalem at the temple when he first starts preaching the gospel in Acts chapter two. This was big. Like you're not only, you're going to be cut off from your people. And more importantly, you're going to be cut off from God forever. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's a huge consequence and there's not a way to remedy it later. The moment we take our last breath on earth, we have locked in our eternal destiny. Either we've received Christ and sought to walk with him and please him. And maybe we didn't do it so well, but at least we've accepted the free gift of salvation and the free gift of forgiveness. And we've been adopted into God's family and, and we become his child and we're going to be with God forever, even if we didn't live it out so well. That's our hope. That's the good news. That's the gospel. But that's the consequences of saying yes to Jesus. If you mm. say no to Jesus or just ignore him, Ignoring him is the same as saying no. So if you haven't proactively leaned in and said, yes, thank you. I want to take this free gift of salvation that you're offering. I want to turn away from my own way of thinking, my own religious and political and ideological ideas about how to live life. I want to turn away from that and turn towards you, Lord, and accept that Jesus is the Messiah and he loves me and he wants to forgive me. And I want that and I need that. If we don't do that, there's this huge consequence. And yeah. our responsibility as followers of Jesus is, yes, to strengthen the church and encourage those who already love Jesus. How do we walk with him? How do we serve him? But we also have a prophetic and very solemn responsibility to make sure that everyone in the entire world, including the nation of Israel, knows that Jesus is the Messiah, has a chance to at least hear that message and process it and then decide to either receive Jesus as the Messiah or reject him. Yeah. It's not right to let people not have any idea who Jesus is. That is not what, that's not, I mean, it is an option, I guess, because people it's can It's not love, it. though. But it's not loving. 
It's not kind. Mm-hmm. It's not blessing Israel or the neighbors mm-hmm. to not at least give people a chance. Now, this issue of telling people, Jews or Muslims or others, about Jesus is extremely sensitive. I get it. I live in the midst of that, that sensitivity, because yeah. I live in Jerusalem. But we're not talking about forcing people to believe. We're not talking about coercing people or deceiving people or tricking people. We're talking about giving everyone a chance to at least hear the case for Jesus and then say yes or to say no. Mm -hmm. And and so prophecy is designed to motivate us to do it. And the prophecies are clear that there are consequences to rejecting the only Messiah. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to God the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He's either right or he's wrong. If he's right, then he's the only way to God. He's the only truth. He's the only way to have life. If he's wrong, then you have to keep looking. But have you really considered who Jesus is? And is that statement accurate or isn't it? Because the consequences are enormous. And uh, even though it's controversial, I feel like there's no other loving thing to do but to tell people exactly what Jesus taught and let them make a decision for themselves. Sure. This passage in Haggai, I will shake the nation. Sometimes shaking is for our own good. Sometimes, you know, it's done to rouse someone who's sleeping. If the ship is going down, if, you know, uh, you're not like Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat, but if you're asleep while the boat is going down, somebody better wake you up or it's going to be very, very bad for you. So I think that's... That raises almost the perfect analogy in two ways. If you look at the Titanic, so there were signals coming that watch out for icebergs right? How did the captain and and his crew on the Titanic know that their icebergs were coming? Because other ships were ahead sending the message to them. They knew for Mm -hmm. fact that icebergs were coming. That's prophecy. God is up ahead of us and he's sending a message. Hey, bad things are coming. You have to make choices and decisions based on what I'm telling you. You can't Mm -hmm. see it yet. It looks, it's all dark to you right now. There's no evidence that these bad things are coming, but they are coming, I'm telling you, because I am up ahead of you and I'm sending you an advance notice. That's Bible prophecy. Yeah. Now, the problem was that the captain and his team on the Titanic didn't believe it mattered. Maybe there mm. are icebergs, but we are invincible. We have a ship that cannot yeah. be sunk. So who cares? And so right. they didn't take seriously the warnings and then they hit the iceberg. Now, yeah. the next step was they started telling people when they realized, oh my gosh, this ship is going down. They told people, you got to get off the ship. And many people thought, no, this is an unsinkable ship. I'm not getting into a, a lifeboat, which I don't know what it the future holds if I get in it. I'm staying yeah. on this ship. And even at that point, the captain and the rest of his crew were like, no. You don't understand. The time is limited. We are going down. If you're in the lifeboat, you live. If you stay on this ship, you die. That's it. It's a time-limited discussion we're having, but we are going down. And many people didn't listen. They didn't believe it. They didn't care. And then it was too late. This really quite sums up the gospel message. The gospel itself is a prophecy. 
right? You and I and our listeners and our viewers have not died yet. So we mm-hmm. don't know if it's really true when you die and you don't believe in Jesus, are you really going to hell? Or if you do know Jesus, that you're really going to heaven. This itself is a prophecy. Mm-hmm. The question is, do we listen to it? And do we say, I need to get in the lifeboat. Jesus is the lifeboat. If I get in, I'll be saved. If I stay on this ship of my life on my own, I'm going down and I will not be saved. Yeah. But this is the main prophecy that matters. The gospel is a prophecy. It's true. And I just plead with everybody who's watching and listening, make a decision. Say yes. Now is the day. Get in the lifeboat. I know you don't know all the details of what's ahead when you get in that lifeboat. But if you don't get in that lifeboat, there's no way to save yourself. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wow, Joel, this this whole series of podcasts has been so rich with biblical teaching and so so encouraging, really, at, at its core. Your message there is absolutely right. Now is the day of salvation. Now, when we know this and when we can understand what the scriptures are, are pointing us towards is the time that we may need to make that decision. Joel, do you have any closing thoughts or summary of what we've covered in the last uh, three podcasts here? Well, I would summarize it by saying that the mission of the Joshua Fund is to help the believers in Jesus in Israel, in the Palestinian Authority, uh, in Gaza, and in five neighboring Arab countries to know the truth and to speak it so that they're strong as believers and they feel encouraged and they are not avoiding 27% of scripture. They understand, I mean, especially since Israel and the people in the region, so much of Bible prophecy in the end times is about their countries and about what happens to them and their people in the future. So it's especially important for Israeli and Lebanese and Syrian and Jordanian and Iraqi and Egyptian and Palestinian followers of Jesus to know the truth the whole counsel of scripture and to teach it. And then, of course, to make sure that they are faithfully and boldly and courageously telling their friends and neighbors and colleagues what the truth is and giving them a chance to make their own decision to say yes to Jesus or to say no to Jesus. And so that's what the Joshua Fund does. We both educate the church worldwide, but we also encourage and invest in financially and prayerfully and in many other ways, training and encouragement, whatever just fellowship, strengthen the local church in these areas, in the epicenter. And I I want to encourage those of you that are followers of Jesus, wherever you are in the world, to come and be part of what we're doing. Prayerfully, pray for our board, pray for our staff, pray for Carl as he's the executive director of this team, and then financially invest in the work of the Joshua Fund, because ultimately the church in the Middle East mostly needs prayer. And they definitely need encouragement. There's so much discouragement, so much spiritual warfare up against them. But honestly, they also need financial investment to hire the assistant pastor or to send Mm -hmm. someone, a young person to go get theological training so that they can be a a solid teacher of the word of God. And and of course, the humanitarian relief, just, just showing the love of Jesus by caring for the poor and needy. That takes money. Right. Yeah. We don't have Jesus here doing the types of miracles that say, look, I'll take five loaves and, a, you know, two fish or whatever and turn it into feeding five or 10 or 15,000 people. In the current era, the miracle is that followers of Jesus say, I should be part of this. I should help and give a little bit of my financial resources to invest in showing the love of Jesus to people who are poor and needy. So that's the mission of the Joshua Fund. And we really, 100% rely upon God. And we rely upon God 
to move his people by the power of his Holy Spirit to come and be part of what we're doing. And so, again, since prophecy is supposed to motivate us to know God, walk with him and make him known, I would say this is a way. It's a wonderful way to do that for the people who live in the very places that Bible prophecy most discusses. Wow. Joel, thank you. That's great. And we pray for you too, brother, the many circles that you roll in and that God is using you to open up doors again around the region. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining with us on this really interesting biblical insight into prophecy, into biblical prophecy. And as Joel said, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can certainly uh, give to some of the work that we're doing. You can learn about the work that uh, the Joshua Fund is doing in the Middle East to bless Israel. And as Joel said, the neighboring countries in the name of Jesus and how you can participate, actually be a part of the healing work that God is doing through us in this critical region. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you've heard on this podcast for more information on those things. Anything you'd like more information on, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us and do that. Well, again, uh, thanks for listening. And for Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together, we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.